Sandals Church friends and family. How you doing? It's good to see you back here again. Look at that. You made it. We're so glad you're here. Whether you're watching live or on demand, we are so glad that you showed up today. And there's a whole lot of you watching with your with your community group, maybe some of you watching with your spouse, or if you're family, maybe you're watching together with your family all huddled up together at church right there. <laughs> Welcome. My name is Jeff and I'm your online campus pastor. I love getting shout outs from all of you who watch all over the globe. Lynn R on YouTube says, Pastor Matt, you have changed my life. I am so blessed God placed you in my path. I live in Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho, how are you doing? I live in Boise, Idaho, and I'm grateful for the ability to take part in your church. Thank you, Lynn, for letting us know where you are and how Sandals Church has come alongside you in your journey. If you're watching live, now is a great time to tell us in the chat where you're actually watching from. But no matter but no matter when or how you join us, we are so glad that you're watching with us. In fact, you can actually share this with a friend by going to move.sc forward slash watch with me. For those of you who don't know, we're all about being real. Like, like that's the big thing. Like we really want to be real. Real with ourselves, God, and others. Now for me, I love this because sometimes church can be a little bit fake <laughs> and on the opposite of real, but we truly want to be authentic. That means that, that this is a safe place for you. My Sandals Church family and friends, we have been creating safe places and real moments and opportunities for over 20 years with our vision of being real and reaching people with the love of Jesus. The only way we're able to do this, the only way we're able to take this vision all over the world is because of your giving. Thank you so much. If you want to be part of what God is doing through Sandals Church, you can give today by going to give.sc or downloading our Sandals Church app and giving there. Well, we are in our, we, we, we're still in this message and this, and this series called Pivot. And, and the tagline is how to change when, when we don't want to. And today for a second week, we are also going to hear again from our own Pastor Claude Hickman. Right now though, I would invite you to, to sing and worship with us. Psalms 34, three says, come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Church, it's time to magnify the Lord. Let's make his name great. His name is bigger than the pandemic. His name is bigger than any situation that you might be facing. So let's sing together. Let's shout together. Says God is worthy of our praise. Gather the children, gather the household. We're worshiping the Lord. Let's magnify his name. Lift up his holy name. He's worthy of our praise. Church, let's shout. He's worthy of our praise.
sing this together. Oh, I've got a feeling that darkness won't last very long. Oh, I've got a feeling that darkness won't last very long. Oh, I've got a feeling that darkness won't last very long. Follow my lead. Here we go. Welcome back, Sandals Church. Hey, this week we're finishing up our series called Pivot about how to change when change is difficult. And sometimes you have to change before you see the reward in changing and before you see why. The Bible calls that hope. The world calls it foolishness. The Bible calls it hope. You know, what would you do? Let me ask you, if someone told you the future, what would you change? What would you do differently? You know, when we moved here to California from the Midwest, I didn't see uh, where we were even gonna go to church. And so I took recommendations from some of our friends. And, you know, I came from a really conservative, like small church uh, back in Oklahoma. So when my friend was recommending churches, I was like, look, we don't want, you know, some kind of weird hippie church. What's your church called? And he's like, Sandals. And I was like, really? Okay, do they meet like in an abandoned warehouse or something cool? He's like, no, it's just a regular warehouse. And so he gave me directions. And I swear, I thought it was a joke because it, 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 back then, almost 10 years ago, the, the campus, Hunter, Hunter Park was the only campus. And if you drove up Palmerita, everything was a warehouse. You know, the, the whole half mile of the whole street was all these warehouses. I pulled into every one of them. And, and I kept thinking, you know, th maybe this is the one. 
and, and, then it, and then all of a sudden there was nothing. There was just high desert, nothing, except this one little warehouse at the top of the mountain. And we're dri- I'm driving with my wife, and I'm like, this, this has got to be a prank. You know, like, this is where you dump a stolen car, not where you plant a church. And, and so finally, we get up to the end of Palmerita at Hunter Park, you know, the, the only parking problem was waiting for the little miniature donkeys, you know, to move, the burrows. And we came in, but you know what? We fell in love with the church. We fell in love with the vision. And I remember even some of those early sermons, Pastor Matt talking about how he's like, man, God brought us out in the middle of nowhere. He's like, my friends are planting churches in, you know, Huntington Beach and surfing, and we're in Meth Valley, you know, up here in the middle of nowhere. But you know what? Three years later, there was a real parking problem. And four years later, there was a thousand homes that went in, in this beautiful development across the street. And listen, Pastor Matt didn't know the future, but God did. But he looked foolish enough to obey and change. What about you? You know, if, if someone told you the future, what would you risk? Like, what would you change? You know, there's another family in our church that God has blessed them. They own multiple restaurants in Riverside, like, like 12 or more, a, a chain of restaurants and God's blessed them, they're generous, they're friends of mine, they go to Sandals Church. But in 2019, God was putting on this person's heart to sell off all his restaurants. And his regional, national people were like, no, man, that's, that's foolish, you're not that much older, you know, he's not that much older than me. They're like, that would be dumb. So he waited, 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 and so I'd kind of lost touch with him, and then COVID hit early this year. So about May, I reached out to text him, because all these restaurants were being hit so hard, and the economy is being hit so hard, I reached out to my friend and said, how are you doing? Man, how are you guys holding up? And he said, Claude, I didn't tell you. He said, March 1st, we sold all of my restaurants. Now, listen, he doesn't know the future, but God does, but he pivoted. He changed. You know, there was something that made me angry early this year, back in January, February, when we were all loving life in 2020, like, woohoo, 2020 is gonna be awesome. There was a meeting happening at our Capitol, a closed door meeting with world leaders, with our national leaders, with senators talking about this virus and what was coming in the future. And they were talking about what was about to happen in America over the next couple of months. And we found out later that some of those people with that information, they went out and sold stock, like millions of dollars worth of stock. Now, I don't know if they did something illegal or not, but it's kind of interesting. Like, it's kind of curious when you go off and sell $6 million worth of ExxonMobil, maybe that's a normal Tuesday for you, but not for me, and it looks foolish unless you know something about the future the rest of us don't know. And I got kind of frustrated by that. And then you know what Jesus said to me? God was like, Claude, I tell you the future all the time, but you don't change. Jesus said, at least those senators were shrewd because God is saying, I tell my people the future and I've been telling them the future for thousands of years, but some of you won't change. Even when you see loss coming, some of you won't pivot. Listen, God is the only person who can not only tell us what is gonna be lost, but also what is gonna be gained. And you need this, you need this kind of hope right now. This is a sermon today about hope for you. Now maybe 2020 hasn't impacted you that much. First of all, I'd love to meet you after the service right down here, the rest of us would. But let me tell you, maybe your 2020 is just not here yet. Maybe the train's still coming in for you. But listen, you're gonna need this message because you're gonna need hope when it does. Maybe 2020 did hit you really hard. Maybe you have been a faithful follower of God and this time he didn't speak and you're wondering what's going on because on paper, you're saying, man, this looks really bad. But let me tell you this, God has a different piece of paper than you do. And you're gonna need hope. You need to be reminded of the hope that when we go through a storm, there's some things that are worth losing and there's some things that will remain. And God wants to remind you that today. There's warning after warning in the Bible about what is coming in the future for you and me. Can I show you some of them? Just for the next few minutes, one, is in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus tells a parable. He says this parable, Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded abundant harvest. And I want you to just underline the word ground. Notice Jesus from the very beginning is saying, you know what, blessing doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Only God can move the ground to bless you and me. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. See how he takes kind of credit for it? 
And I said, then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. You know, it's funny about surplus is most of us think, oh, well, when I have surplus, then I will be generous or then I will donate you know, some of my time when I, have, when I have extra. You notice this guy doesn't become more generous. In fact, he gets more busy building new barns. He doesn't even get generous with his time when he's blessed with surplus. So he finally said, I'll say to myself then, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years to come. So take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. Food, to have food for many years it is, you know, the reason we're shocked by that so little, that statement, is because we're blessed so much. In the ancient Near East, when this was written, when Jesus was speaking, to be middle class meant that you knew where you were gonna eat today. Uh, the poor would not know where they were gonna eat today, the next day, the next day. They didn't know where their next meal would come from. But the rich, listen to me, the definition of rich, according to Jesus, is really, at the time, somebody who knew where they were gonna eat today and tomorrow. That's rich, according to the Bible. This man has food for years. He has surplus for years. But God says to him, you fool, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You know, at the end of life, everything's surplus. Everything's extra at the end of your life, but he's hoarding it to himself. He has no one in the future that he's thinking about. He's no one that he's prepared this for. And I think it's interesting that God calls him a fool just for the plan. You know, he hasn't even really done anything yet with his surplus, but just for the plan, God calls him a fool because he hasn't prepared it for anybody else in his vision. You know, I, when this year was happening, I think some of us weren't so much worried for ourselves, I wasn't, but I was worried for my kids. If something happened to me or my wife, what would happen to our kids? What would happen to them? So I realized I, I am not prepared at all. Like I'm horrible at preparing for this. And, and I started looking through documents like whose name is on what? You know, whose uh, name is on the deed to this or the title to that? Uh, I realized we had a living will that was missing a kid, all right? Like we were missing a whole child off of our living will. And so I had to go back and do some things to make sure that at least what God had blessed us with would be prepared for somebody else. Some people don't even do that. You know, Michael Jackson left like $2 million to his monkey, Boo Boo, right? Like there's people that do that. There's guys, Miles Blackwell, publisher, left $10 million to his chicken, Goo Goo, all right? Okay, I, and so I don't think money's evil, but being stupid with it is, amen? And so God says to this person, you're a fool. And here's Jesus's point, verse 21. This is the point that he's trying to make. This is how it will be. In other words, this is the future. This is the future. This is a warning that there is loss coming. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves. He doesn't say whether you're a Christian or not, whether you know God or not. All we know is this guy may be a God-fearer. A lot of things that Jesus said were to Christians, not non-Christians. This guy may know God. All we know is that he's a fool because he stores up things for himself. And Jesus says he is not rich toward God. One thing Christians and non-Christians have in common is that you can't take anything with you. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. First of all, there is loss coming in my future. That's the bad news. There's loss coming in our future. This is some of the oldest biblical wisdom just drills this in. Job, 4,000 years ago, Job said this, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. 3,000 years ago, Solomon, who God gave wisdom to, said in Ecclesiastes, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. And they take nothing from their toil, their work, that they can carry in their hands. Listen, I don't think this is like brand new information that you take nothing with you, unless you're a Pharaoh, you know, and you lived in Egypt and you're buried with all your stuff. That's what the Egyptians believed, that, you know, if you were buried with your iPhone, you'd have your iPhone in heaven. And that's not what we believe as Christians. You get your iPhone in hell, except there's no adapter for the new iPhone there. <laughs> that's hell. Send Lazarus for my Apple dongle, please. No, just kidding. First Corinthians, Paul says this. So this is a New Testament idea. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who buy something 
shouldn't act as if it's something for them to keep. And those who use the things of this world as though not engrossed in them for this world and its present form is passing away. It's all passing away. My, my family, we have a phrase, we say, use things and love people, not the other way around. Life has warnings if we look ahead. Do you ever see somebody do something first and then get hurt and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna do that, right? They just broke their teeth out. Like life has some really normal warnings like that. My kids are always joking about like, dad, who ate this first? You know, who, who ate cottage cheese first? Who said this would be a, this sounds like a great snack. You ever wonder stuff like that? My little sister, she went with four of her friends to get a tattoo and they had to drive out of state because it was illegal. She, was, she went first and guess what? The other three bailed out. That's why you don't go first all the time, all right? There's wisdom in that. When I was driving back to college as a young person, this was in the Midwest, and one of the most dangerous things in the Midwest is not the tornadoes, it's the ice. Rain will come down as, as water and then freeze as solid ice on the road, and it looks like glass, and you'll just slide right off of it. And I had to drive an hour back to my university, but there was one bridge, this overpass, that went up, it was one lane, it went up and over, and I, when I got there, I just pulled over and stopped, and I looked at it, and I was like, if I can make it around this curve, I can make it the rest of the way, but I don't wanna be the first. So I sat on the side of the road for 20 minutes and it felt really stupid. Uh, at one point I got bored and I tried to get out and I did like the Kramer thing on the ice, like that's how slick it was. And so I got back in and I just felt dumb and finally this guy in this little car comes and he goes up, he gets like halfway up, he fishtails and then he sticks sideways in the middle of the one lane bridge and I was like, okay, I guess that's my answer. Now, better Christians would have probably went to help him, uh, but my Enneagram, my two, my helper is so low. It's, it's not even a score. It's just like the emoji of the guy doing this. So I, I pivoted and I went home because Proverbs 22 says this about warning. It says, the wise, the prudent, see danger and take refuge. They pivot when they see loss coming. They pivot when they see danger coming. But the fool, the simple, keep going and pay the penalty, they suffer the loss. Now listen, if this was all to the story, the Christian life wouldn't have a whole lot of hope to it. If, if this is all there was to the story, we would look foolish, generosity would look foolish, selflessness would look foolish, but God says, I don't only know what's gonna be lost, I know where you can set anchor and what's gonna remain. Jesus promises something after this life. I want you to write this down but I have this one life to store up eternal gain. In other words, there's another barn. G G this should blow our mind that Jesus says, you can't take stuff with you, but there's another barn. Matthew six, he says this, and this is a new idea. This is new information for us. Do not store up for yourselves, he says, treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and can steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven. You should say, what? What was that? Treasure in heaven, Jesus says, where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in is still. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus is saying, you can't take it with you, but there's some things you can send ahead. You can send them ahead. Some of you don't know this, but my wife and I, we lead a, a ministry in the US called The Traveling Team, and for the first seven years of that, as we started it, that meant we were traveling 49 of the 50 US states. We would travel for three months at a time in one suitcase each and a backpack. And so when you got one suitcase for three months, you, get, you gotta make some choices, right, about what you're gonna bring. And I remember going one semester to like Florida where it was 90 degrees one week, and then it, literally a week later, we were in Boone, North Carolina where it was below freezing. And I was like, I, was, I did not pack well for this. I was not prepared for this. And so we would always have that switch between warm, hot, and so finally one day, before we left for the road for that year, my wife came home and I had this huge box and I was packing it with like some of our best winter gear. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm packing her North Face coat and my like smart wool socks. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm packing, I'm gonna send our stuff ahead. She said, to who? I said, strangers. She's like, strangers? Well, I was like, church strangers, but yeah, strange, trustworthy. Strangers, <laughs> you know, and I felt so stupid going to the UPS store, right, with like all of our best winter gear. 
and just saying goodbye and just, just hoping that it would be trustworthy. And, there, and, and my wife is not a fool. Like, we have mailed some books ahead that somebody gave away to all their friends. So there's reason to be a little worried, but we mailed it ahead, and I felt so dumb until a month and a half later when we arrived and we opened that box and I'd forgot, like I'd literally forgot what I'd packed and it was like such joy. You know, there, there, was, there was so much happiness that I had sent something ahead. I was so grateful. Listen, what have you sent ahead? Have you sent anything ahead? How do we send something ahead? Because when we get to heaven, it sounds like Jesus is saying people are gonna be blessed differently in the kingdom. Let me talk to you about this. How do we store up treasure in heaven? Have you ever read through the Bible? What, what does the Bible say about how do you store up treasure in heaven? I wanna give you three things. One of the things the Bible says is this. We store up treasure in heaven when I choose to build God's work, not just mine. See, this is one of the things that the rich man didn't do, is he chose to keep building his work, not God's eternal work. 1 Corinthians 3, one of the most interesting passages about what life is gonna be like in heaven, and a passage I would say most Christians don't know, says this about your life as a believer. Paul is writing to Christians. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid by Jesus Christ. He's speaking to Christians. Listen to me, what we're talking about, earning treasure in heaven, working and doing good, is not so that you can earn salvation. There's only one person that can provide salvation for you, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only person that can lay that foundation. Nothing you do but his work on the cross. But he, he lays that foundation, but we build on it. Paul says we build on that foundation, just like a home, just like a building. And he says, now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw. Those are very different things, right? What kind of image is he setting up here? Each person's work on the foundation will become clear for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test the sort of the work each of us have done. Did you know heaven had a fire? Heaven has fire for your life. Heaven has fire that's gonna evaluate and test the work that we've done. And listen to me, elements like silver that can't be undone are very different than dead grass when they're tested by fire. And so Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul goes on to say this. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. He's speaking to Christians. They will be saved, but only as one escaping through fire. You know what Paul is saying to you? Is that some of the stuff that you're giving your life to, it's not on the periodic table of heaven. It's gonna be lost. It's not gonna last. You know, right now, our country is just being hit from both East Coast, West Coast, same time. Hurricanes on the East Coast, fires uh, on the West Coast. You know, I grew up in the Midwest where there were tornadoes. Tornadoes were scary enough, right? And then California, you went up to everybody with the fire NATO. I don't know what that is, the fire tornado. Sounds like a movie, you know, The Rock would be in next. So it's just scary. But you know, there's one question that everybody's gonna ask in about a week and a half, what remains? What, what remains? When people go back through their neighborhood, they're gonna ask what remains? What's left standing? What endured through that hurricane? What is gonna endure through that fire? And let me tell you something. There's men and women at Sandals Church. They work hard during the week, six days a week. Some of them, police officers, all hours, medical professionals, all hours, day and night. People who work outside, very difficult jobs. People who have businesses where they command hundreds of thousands of employees. But you know what, when they get a day off, they do the foolish work of serving at Sandals Church. They come here and they serve and they invest in building what God is doing, not just what they're doing. And listen, their work, their honor, 
is going to remain. That glory is going to remain. That reward is going to last. It's going to remain. That's my prayer for you. When your life is tested with this fire, that what you've built remains. Number two, so the Bible says about how to build reward in heaven, treasure in heaven, is to choose faith over culture. When we choose faith over culture, Matthew 5 says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Christianity, because of Jesus, because of your values. And, and there's always a season in the Christian life where you look foolish for doing this. But he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You're not alone. Choosing faith over culture is one of the hardest things to do. Let me tell you something, and I wanna speak really quickly just to our young people, our high school students, our middle school students, our young adults, our college students. One of the things that my wife and I did that felt so foolish is before we got married, we chose not to have sex with each other or anyone else before we got married. And my wife didn't realize how hot she was, so I had to make some extra rules for myself, and we actually chose not to kiss. Our, we dated for two years. Our first kiss was our wedding kiss. Now, today, that sounds so strange. That sounds so bizarre. I mean, there'd be a reality show about us if we did that today because that's so countercultural. And I know that sounds so strange and so weird, but listen to me. I've seen the future, and I'm telling you, it's good. It's worth it. And if that's an area that you've already failed in, then start over and say, God, I'm gonna rebel against culture in this area. I'm gonna believe your promises that it's worth it and that you're gonna reward it. Number three, we build treasure in heaven when I choose to be generous with a willing heart. You know, this is the other thing the rich man failed to do. Even though he had surplus for years to come, we see no generosity out of him. My wife is amazing at this. And, and she, when she gets money, she immediately thinks to give it. it, it's, it to me, it does not compute at all. It's like the opposite of how I think. And I think that's why things happen to her that don't happen to me. Like she literally will be, go jogging and find a wallet full of cash. It's happened, okay? And she'll immediately think, who, who can I give this to? Uh, you know, last year, she got like $300 uh, for this thing. And she immediately was like, babe, will you help me? I wanna give this to Haiti. You know, and I think I actually asked, I was like, all of it? Like, I actually asked that, all of it? <laughs> but she just is generous, and she immediately thinks to give when she gets something like that. And you know, what I love about what Jesus says to the rich and the poor is he asks them to give all. It's the one thing the rich and the poor both have. They both have an equal opportunity to build treasure in heaven because Jesus asked both of them to give all. In other words, he's saying there's a heart attitude, that all blessing comes from the ground of God's grace in our life, and that means we hold it all with an open hand. Look at what 1 Timothy 6 says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in it. Don't put your hope in the wealth, which is so, underline this, uncertain. Have we been reminded of that this year? I hope so, that this world and the riches in it are uncertain. But he says, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment and command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous, willing, willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age, something that won't be lost so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me tell you something, the irony is that when I keep things to myself, when I hoard treasure and money and things like that to myself and I'm not generous, I end up losing joy twice because the things I buy with money don't really bring me joy and I lose reward in heaven. I get robbed two times of my joy. You know. This last year, uh, something happened in our family. So when we moved here, one of the things my wife was really excited about 
was recycling. Like in the Midwest, we just didn't have recycling in our town. So we moved to California. We moved to the one neighborhood where there's no recycling trucks that come in. So we have to collect it in our backyard, these big trash cans. It's kind of one of the things I don't like. But we collect it, you know, over months. And what's awesome is our kids, they get the money from when we take it to the recycling center. I don't love going to the recycling center. It's, it's like another place you dump a stolen car. It's not my favorite place to go. So it collects a lot. So by the time they cash it in, they're getting like $70, $80 worth of recycling money. And to a nine-year-old at our house, that's jackpot, okay? That's treasure. And, and so we built it up. I went in the backyard one time and I looked and it was gone. And I went in and I said, babe, thanks for taking the recycling. You know, I hate doing that. She's like, I didn't take the recycling. And we found out, our kids don't know this, they're gonna find this out when they watch this sermon. Somebody stole our recycling. Somebody actually like, got into our backyard, stole all of our recycling. So I installed some lights in the backside of our house, you know, locked the gate. Six months later, we built up all this recycling again. Six months later, somebody came in and stole it. This time they sorted it. They sorted the glass and the plastic cans, took the plastic cans, left us the glass. I'm like, thank you. You know, and it's so funny because if they if they knew me, I would probably give them the recycling, right? Like, I I'm like, babe, if I leave a note, does that count as charity? You know, because I feel like I'm getting robbed twice. Now I'm getting robbed for my kids' money, and I'm getting robbed of reward in heaven because of whoever this is that's stealing from us over and over and over. And let me tell you something. Do you know who's stealing from you? Do you know who it is that's sneaking into your life? and robbing your treasure in heaven over and over and over, it's you and me. You do. When you don't reinvest the talents that God has given you in building up his kingdom, when you don't reinvest the grace that Jesus has given you to forgive and overlook when others mistreat you, when you don't reinvest what financial and material blessings God has given you to be generous with others, you rob yourself two times, both here and in the next life. Listen, God says when you build treasure in heaven, you put it away somewhere that a thief can't steal it, not even you, when you send it ahead. One of my good friends, Dustin, he's like in the action sports world, he would be like the chaplain of all action sports. You watch X Games, any of that stuff, he's there on the sidelines praying with them when they're injured or before the run, and everybody loves Dustin. He's like this 29-year-old single dude, and finally, this last year, he met the girl, and everybody's excited because he's got the girl, and he's gonna propose to the girl. There's only one problem. Dustin tells me his plan. You know, After we sit down, he's like, I, I, I'm proposed to her, but I decided to do it on the top of a mountain. And I was like, why, you know, I don't know why guys come up with these proposal plans that sound like, you know, an Iron Man, but he's like, I'm gonna do it on top of a mountain. And that wasn't all. He's like, we're gonna do this 10 mile run up the mountain first. And I was like, you don't run, Dustin. Like all you own are vans, I know, okay? And he's like, you know, we're gonna do this 10 mile run. And, and it, that wasn't it, it wasn't just a 10 mile run. Before the run, they're gonna do a 40 mile like road bike ride. Then they start the 10 mile run up the switchbacks. And I'm like, that's the, stupidest thing I've ever heard of. He's like, that's what we're doing. So he's got this proposal day. He's got the mountain. I know the weekend. And he told me later, he's like, Claude, after I finished the bike ride, I was done. Like my legs were gassed. We started the 10 mile run. He said, my leg was cramped. I was beating on my leg to try to get it to work because it was cramping up. You know, his little girlfriend, she's like Miss Fitness, just like, you know, she's worried about him. She's like, should we stop? Because you're not looking good. He's like, no. And so I'm sitting with him. I'm like, Dustin, you know, what's plan B, right? Like, what's plan B? Do you, do you just drop right there and propose on the side of the road? And he said, he goes, Claude, I didn't have the ring. He goes, I sent everything ahead. His friends were at the top of the mountain with the signs that said, will you marry me? That the cameraman was at the top of the mountain at the finish line, even the ring was at the finish line at the top of the mountain. And all of a sudden I realized he's genius. He's genius. Do you know how he finished that run? Because all his hope was set before him at the finish line. Listen to me, Christians. This is what God is saying to us, is that everything you want, everything you hope for, 
is at the finish line. God is saying the real joy, the real treasure, the real glory, the real reward is waiting for you at the finish line. And God is calling us to pivot toward eternity because that's the treasure, that's the reward that, that can't be lost, it can't be locked down, it can't be destroyed, it can't be stolen. And even when the fire of God itself tests your work on that day, in that place, it will remain. So listen, are you gonna believe what God says about the future? And there's a time to count your blessings, but maybe you should stop counting your blessings and start creating blessings in heaven. Will you believe what God says about your future? And will you pivot your hope from the earthly promises and the empty promises of this world to the eternal promises of God? That's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. God, the race that we're in always looks foolish in the middle. And it looks foolish to the world in the middle of the race when we wanna give up. But God, our hope is not a blind hope. Our faith is not a blind faith because we have put our best rewards, our best joys, our best treasure, we've put it in the hands of trustworthy people and we've sent it ahead with you, God, to the finish line. And so God, I pray that you would help us to reinvest what you've given us into your work, reinvest grace into other people. God, I pray that our hope would not be shaken with the storms that shake this world, but we would look to eternity. God, we would believe the future that you set before us. And Lord, when we reach the other side, God, I pray that we would be so glad we pivoted, that we risked, that we believed, and we'd be surprised by all the small moments, God, all the small moments of faith that, that looked so foolish and felt so unseen, God, that you see them and you will reward. You're storing up for us some of heaven's best joys forever. God, give us that eternal vision. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, what really resonated with me is how Claude encouraged us to choose faith over culture. For some of us, this is really easy, but for others of us, this is really difficult, like extremely difficult. You know, I wanna walk alongside you as you choose faith over culture. And even more so, I want you to have people in your life who can walk alongside you as you do that every single week. Because this isn't something we can do on our own. It's just, it's just not. But now is a great time to get into a group and to, and to be around people who can help you to choose faith. If you're not already in the group, we'd love to help you. We'd love to come alongside you to join a group. And you can do that by going to sandalschurch.com forward slash next. As we enter time today, we are going to spend some time in worship. As we choose today to have faith over culture, we will sing about Jesus being our living hope. I just want to encourage you today and let you know that God is our hope. Amen. So wherever you're at, I want you to worship with us today. the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine, amen? Who could imagine? 
all of our sin, all of our shame, washed, washed away, and we remain in your presence white as snow. Father, we thank you for that love. We thank you for that love. Church, let's thank you for that love, that precious, priceless love. We're going to sing a song about that love. It's called Uncomplicated. And you know, this week, spending time with Jesus, I felt like him say, hey, Beck, stop being Martha and be Mary and come and sit at my feet. Sometimes church, we need to sit at his feet and remember how beautiful and simple it is to be in his presence. His love is completely uncomplicated. He makes it pure and easy and simple every time we come back to Him. So I'm gonna invite you to sing out this song with us. Come on, let's do this. There's a simplicity, humility to the way you love me, and honesty, purity. God, you make it easy with special Thoughts, 
hard for you to say today or sing. You might be in a room with people and it feels awkward to say that out loud or to sing that out loud, but I want to tell you something powerful happens when you do that. Something powerful, something breaks over us, something breaks over you. Just like that alabaster box was broken over Jesus' feet, it was an extravagant love poured out for Him. And I tell you, church, 
nothing is wasted when we spend time with Jesus. Nothing is wasted in His presence. It's that in that place that we find strength when we're weary. We get to hide in the shadow of His wing. It's beautiful. Come on, let's sing that. Oh, Jesus, you're so beautiful. How we love